Now, in that video scene that you just saw, many of you, if you've seen the television show Lost, that was the, the very first opening episode of, the, of that series Lost. And Jack, the guy who is the main character that you saw, he was a medical doctor. So those of you who were laughing, you knew why it was funny because, hey, maybe we should stick the, the pin in her throat deal. And it's like, yeah, you go ahead and do that. So we want, I wanted to show that because that, that video right there best expresses the state of families in not just the American culture today, but in the world today. That video series, those series of videos that we placed together, we titled it the name Lost because that's the name of the show, but I want to clarify what the term lost actually means. I'm not talking about not saved this morning. And a lot of times when we in the American culture, we use the term lost, we always refer to, oh, well, they just need to get saved. Well, we got a lot of saved families in the church that are just as lost as unsaved families out of the church. So the term lost I'm using this morning is not lost in the fact that you need to get saved, you need to get found, you need to get born again. The term lost I'm using this morning in the title of this message means no direction, chaos, and disarray. No direction, chaos, and disarray is the, is the common words that we can use to, dis, to describe many families in the American culture today. In this scene, what you just saw where a plane crash had happened, and Jack even wakes up, and he's disoriented, and he's the main character in the whole story. You figure at least one person should have it together, and he's disoriented, running through the jungle, and he finally breaks out onto the beach, and the first few minutes he's there, he's wandering around and staggering around and rubbing his head like, what in the world do I do? And that depicts many of the leaders of the households in families today that we're scratching our heads saying God what do we do because we're in a state of disarray we don't know what's happening and when I say the leaders of many households a lot of people if you were raised in church your mindset automatically went to the man or the husband but the but the true fact of the matter is there are many leaders in the households today that are single moms and single dads or their grandparents because kids aren't raising their kids and now grandparents are raising grandbabies and so the leader in the house don't automatically assume it's back to the Western American culture back in the 60s 70s and 80s where it always referred to the man of the house because in many households today there is no man and the state of the culture that we live in is disarray and it's chaos and as people are running around there was a lifeguard trying to do the very best that he could but what he was doing was actually killing her not helping her and then we got the other scenario and it didn't show it because I didn't have time to show the whole scene that we got hurt people trying to help other people who are hurt but the fact of the matter is when you're hurting so bad that you can't help and then you try to help you're just hurting usually that person and yourself even more we got hurt people that usually end up hurting other people because hurt people hurt people. And we got husbands and wives in the same household that are both hurting because they've been neglecting loving one another and now they're trying to change things but they don't know how so they're hurting each other because what hurt people hurt people. And when hurt people hurt people, the, cat the catastrophes just continue to keep mounting. And then you have all the outside resource or, or circumstances that come in and make the situation even worse. You got engines blowing up in the video. You got plane wings that are about to fall on people. When, when, you, when somebody, a leader, tells you, go and just sit here and don't move, and you sit here and don't move, but while you're sitting here, the, way, the wing of a plane is about to fall on your head, and you've got to get up and move again. Do, do you understand how this so accurately describes the American culture and the, and the family structure that we have right here in the United States? It's a very accurate depiction of it. And at the end, when I guess everything had calmed down, you see Jack just sitting here rubbing his head thinking, what on earth do we do now? Because the true reality hadn't even set into them yet, that they were lost and nobody was coming to get them. The plane had gone off course. They were truly lost, and nobody was coming to rescue them. And I see many families out in the world today that have those exact same feelings. We're lost, there's no place to turn, and nobody is coming to get us. Nobody is coming to find us. 
So we better just make do with what we have. And church, it could not be more wrong if you're in the church. We're coming to find you. We're coming to get you. We're coming to help you. We're coming to change your lives. We're coming to change this region. We're coming to see a mighty movement of God take place in this Northeast Texas area. And when we come to get you, you've got to be willing to get help and not fight the ones who are trying to bring stability. And so this morning, I want you to evaluate your family's life, and I pray it's not that. I pray it's not what we saw on the video screen. But if it is what we saw on the video screen, get ready because help is coming. You're not lost. You're simply not abandoned. You're not sitting out there in chaos and disarray all alone. The fact of the matter is, we're here for you and we want to see God do something amazing in your life. So I titled this morning's message simply this, it's lost. So what is the answer for a society today that's in disarray, that's in chaos, that's hurting, that's dying? That we don't really even, even in the churches, when you ask people, they give you the good cliche answers, but they have no true long-lasting results. That's the most disturbing part. So what is the answer? It's got to be more than just the God. It's got to be more than, oh, just receive Jesus, make him Lord of your life. The fact of the matter is when you do that, things end up getting a lot worse because you done picked what side you're on. And now you're in a war. And so what is the answer? Is it the Bible? Or is it more than that? Is it, is it to receive the Holy Spirit or is it more than that? What we're going to begin to talk about this morning is all of that. Because it's just not one of those. It's a combination of all of those working in unison together to make something amazing happen in the family. To make something amazing take place in, in your life where God can transform it. And there's a story in the Bible that, that, that is so awesome and it's only two verses long. But I could preach on it for two hours. And it's the story of a man that one day his life was interrupted. It was interrupted in such a way that it transformed his family like never before. I want to read to you the story of a man in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. It says, Now David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. And a recap of this story is this is where David was taking the ark to the city of David, the, the holy city, the place of Jerusalem. And when he was, when he was taking it there, a man who was with him, the, the, the oxen that were carrying the ark began to stumble and he reached out to steady the ark and he died because he touched the ark. Because the commands were that, don't, nobody touch the ark. Don't touch it or you're going to die. And so sure enough, he died. So David got shook up and he stopped everything. And this is where the story picks up. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all that was in his household. The Lord blessed him and all that was in his household. How many of y'all want that to be spoken over your life? That, hey, we came to church today, and God showed up in a way that we were shaken, we were transformed in the midst of worship, and God was implanted in our life, and everything in our household took a turn that day, and God began to bless everything and everyone in our household. I want that to be spoken about my life, in my family's life. So what was so special about this guy, Obed-Edom? It's two verses in the Bible, really just one verse. I had to give you the previous verse to just show you how the ark got there. He's one verse in the Bible, but yet this one verse about this one man and his family in the Bible really preserved all of Israel for the years to come because he was simply willing to do one thing, and that's let the ark of God rest and reside in his house. The Bible does not say anything about Obed-Edom. a matter of fact. He wasn't a rich man. He wasn't a CEO. He didn't drive the finest car. He didn't live in the biggest house. He didn't have everything going for him. The Bible doesn't say that, that he was a priest, a worship leader, an elder, a deacon. It doesn't say anything specifically about his spiritual status. 
The Bible doesn't say that he was a drunkard. The Bible doesn't say he was an alcoholic. The Bible doesn't say he was a a spousal abuser. In fact, the Bible doesn't say anything about his condition. The only thing that the Bible says about Obedism is that he opened up his house. The ark was set in his house and God blessed everything in his household. This morning, it does not matter your current state, condition, circumstances, what you're going through, your marital status, but God wants to stop and set aside and bring an ark into your house and begin to bless all that you have. He wants to begin to touch your life and change your life. And so why was Obed-Edom so special? Listen, I believe this. He was a normal man with normal problems, with normal situations going on. He was like that until one day. Everybody say one day. He was like that until one day a disruption came into his life. A disruption came into his life and interrupted his normal course of living. Now our definition of disruption is this. It's an unplanned event which causes a deviation from everyday flow and practice. How many of you guys are so accustomed you do the same thing every single day of your life? You stop at the same convenience store at about the same time every morning unless the kids got you running late. And then you run into the convenience store. You don't just stop. But you have the same practices all day long. You know, your life's never going to change if you keep doing what you've always done. If you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting what you always got. Many of you at the very first of the year, you like to click on something and, and, and you like to do something and it's called set out a diet plan for the year. Amen. And so you start getting inspired. I'll, since Mitch is amen, I'll just use him. You start getting inspired about three weeks before Christmas because you know January is right around the corner and you start watching infomercial after infomercial of which DVDs you're going to order for your family so you can have some quality time and get in shape. You got P90X, you got P90X3 out there. Now you got Turbo Fire, you got Insanity, you got the girls' workouts, you got the guys' workouts, you got all these things going on, and you just keep watching it over and over and over, but you never do anything. You know the hardest thing about a home workout plan? The heaviest thing to lift, the hardest thing to do, the heaviest thing to lift is the DVD, the hardest thing to do is push play. And so you keep doing what you've always done, and three months into the year, man, these DVDs, they just don't work. I ordered that and it didn't work for me, really? Because you didn't pick it up and you didn't push play and, you, and, and you're, now you're upset with the results that you didn't work for and you didn't work for the results and so you didn't get them but you're not going to get results you didn't work for. In this situation, Obed-Edom had a disruption, an unplanned event in his life that took place and the ark of God, the ark of the covenant came into his house. Now I cannot emphasize enough the the term ark, the word ark and what it was and, and, and is in the Old Testament still. The Old Testament, everything revolved around the ark. There was not one thing done without the ark in place. There was not one movement of the nation of Israel unless the ark let out in it first. The ark is where the New Testament, or or I'm sorry, the Ten Commandments was put. The ark is where the, the rod that budded was put. The ark was the most valuable item in everything of the history of Israel. And it began to come into the house of Obed Edom. Why was the ark so valuable? You can read all about it in the sermon notes that'll be in the email this week, but I'm just gonna read to you verses number um, 21 and 22 out of Exodus chapter 25. I'll start in actually verse number 20, and it says, The cherubim have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. And the cherubim are face to face, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark, and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant of the law that I will give you. There, There, above the cover between the cherubim, 
are, uh, that are over the ark of the covenant of the law, I will meet with you there, and I will give you my commandments, and I will give them to the people of Israel. So if you want to know why, how the ark was so important, this is why it was so important. The first thing is the ark, the ark itself, is where God showed up to meet his people. This is the place that God showed up. It's not like we're in the New Testament here, okay? This is back in that time where God showed up at specific places, specific times, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle. And this was the thing, this was the ark was in the most holy place that the high priest went just once a year. And as the high priest went there once a year, he offered the sacrifice of atonement and God would meet them there only in this place on top of the Ark of the Covenant where the two cherubim were facing each other with their wings like this. God would rest in the center of that and that's called the mercy seat and God would speak to his people. So this is the only thing that could, that could be brought into a place where God would come there and speak to his people and it was coming to his house. The second thing about the ark, the ark is where God, God tangibly showed up with his people. He approached them from something called the mercy seat. We'll go into that in a little bit. The ark is where the tangible, visible presence of God would manifest. The ark is the singular most important object in the Old Testament. And the ark did not disrepresent God. The ark is where God resided. And they came to a normal man like you and me with normal problems, normal circumstances, normal issues in his life and said, I want to bring this, the only place in the world where God comes and visibly manifests himself. I want to set it in your house. Some of y'all be freaking out. Some of y'all freak out just King David knocked on your door. Let alone said, I'm going to set the most valuable treasured item in all of Israel in your house. And I'm not just going to let it sit there. I need it to be there for about three months so I can get stuff right. And so as the Ark of the Covenant came in, the most valuable item in the house, the question is, where was the Ark in the house? Think of yourself as Obed-Edom. And where would you put the ark in the house? I mean, the ark was not a small item. It had big, long poles that had to be carried. And where would it be? Because where would the ark be in your house today if it was set? See, the problem is the ark was not a small item. The ark could not be shoved in a closet. It could not be hidden. It could not be decorated. It was large enough that everyone was able to see it. I got a question. Where is God in your house? Where is your relationship with Christ? Because, Mitch, I know a lot of people are very specific on how they decorate their houses. I know a lot of people have a form and a pattern of what they do when they begin to decorate their houses. And if I were to say, wife, I got this object coming to our house, and it's big enough that it's not going to fit in any closet. It's got to stay inside. I can't put it in the kitchen. In fact, the only thing we have to do is move the furniture in the living room back, and it's got to sit in the center of our living room for three months. I would tell her in a church service is what I would do. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not even happening. I'm walking over here like I'm really scared to be over there. And this item was big enough, but it was also revered enough that it was not to be decorated. Oh, we can put it up here, but let's just use it as a coffee table. And we can put our, we can put our drinks on it. And, we can, and we can, if we have a party, we'll serve food off of it. Uh-uh. See, the fact of the matter is, that's how many of us treat our Bibles, though. We walk into houses and they're sitting on coffee tables used as a coaster because our drinks are sitting on top of them. Or they're left in the back dash of the car so you don't forget it on church on Sunday. Or if you look in the back dash of the car so you didn't forget it on church on Sunday, you're, you're freaking out and you forgot, oh, I put it in the front dash and all the pages are curled up because of the sun. And we would say as our Christian faith, the most valuable object that we have, Heath Gamble, is the Bible, the physical, tangible voice of God in our midst. But yet, a lot of us treat the Bible as a decoration. We so much like to treat God as a decoration that we would rather have God sprinkled on our walls a little bit with, with amazing scripture verses such as, as for me in my house I'll serve the Lord when there's no serving going on. 
The fact of the matter is, is when we pray to God, we ask God to serve us rather than us coming before God and serving him. And so this most valuable item in the house, this most precious object in all the history of Israel is coming to sit in their house. So where would the ark have to be? It literally would have to be in the center of everything that was going on because it's too big to be anywhere else. It's too valuable to stick in a closet. It's something that is honored and revered. But in your house today, where is it? And I say it because it's more than just God. It's more than just Jesus is my Savior. It's more than just our families baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's more than just I read the Bible every day. It's a culmination of all your Christianity, everything, your following of Christ. And the problem is with all the culmination of all that, a lot of times it's not in the center where everything revolves around it, but in fact it's pushed aside. And when we get to it, we'll get to it when there's time because there's other things more valuable in the house so where is the ark? Where, where, where is it in your house? Where does God rank? Where does he place? Is he simply a decoration or is he more than that? The next question is when the ark was in the house, it was made of gold. It was overlaid in pure gold. Long poles overlaid with pure gold and acacia wood. And the cherubim were facing each other with wings held high where God would come and visit them. And if you've ever had an object like that in the middle of your house, you would have to conform to it. It would not conform to you. <laughs> Amen. It wasn't made of jello where you can kind of squish it and move it and manipulate it. The question I have is, how many times in our life are we conforming to a walk with Christ or are we asking Christ to conform to our lifestyle? Because many families were, were in the situation where we still have the video going through our head of lost and we're in disarray, we're in chaos, and we're in, we're in trouble like we've never been before. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to the hard things of when we got to give, are we going to give in to the word or are we going to twist the word to give in to us? Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to say, Jesus, I'm going to let you follow me for a little bit? Are we going to hear from God or are we just going to say, God, when I get time, I'll get to you? Because here's the thing. The main question is, are you going to conform to the ark or is the ark going to conform to you? The Bible says in verse 11, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. When something's in your house for three months, you begin to conform your life around it. In fact, everything revolves around that object in the house. We have a similar object in the house that's just like that today. It's called the television set. That everything in our life operates around the television set. And when life gets too chaotic, they've even made it better that you can just record it so when you get home, your life will still operate around the television set. And how many of you, before you used to could conform or could make the TV conform to you and DVR things, you would conform to it. We gotta be done because our show comes on at this time. <laughs> Or you move dinner table, din dinners from the dinner table to the living room so you could conform to the box that is set in the middle of your house that we build massive entertainment centers around because it's our focal point in life. It's the television set. I know the NBA finals are on. I know the basketball games are going on. I know the World Cup starts in four days. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know what is going to be the main attraction in my house. It will be that television set. And when the big one in the living room is not good enough, I'll go to the bedroom where we got another one where I cannot be disturbed because I am conforming my life to this inanimate object that everything revolves around. See, the word of God in your life, God in your life, your Christian walk, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the great dilemma. The Bible says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes, now quit, here it is, whoever believes in him, it's Jesus Christ, will not be put to shame. Or ever, whoever conforms their life to him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. 
But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. Here's the thing about God. He can either be the greatest blessing in your life, and if you're born again and don't follow him, he is the greatest nuisance to you. Because you're constantly fighting off the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You must begin to submit your life to the power of God in your life. If we're going to begin to turn the family around, the Bible says Jesus is this cornerstone. He is this rock. He literally would be the ark in the old covenant. He is this. That the Bible says two things. If you believe it and you walk with it and you obey it, great is your reward. You're blessed and all those blessings of God. But I was always confused until about 10 years ago of how Jesus could be a rock of offense or a stumbling block to someone. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you haven't conformed your life to something new being in there such as a new piece of furniture? And you remember exactly how many steps it takes from the bedroom to the kitchen because you don't turn your light on that early in the morning because you're going to wake up some kids. But you had to go to the kitchen. But there's a new object in the house. And you ain't got to worry about lights because when you stump your toe on that joker, it's on. You're screaming, trying not to wake up the kids. And then you sit down on that new couch. This is such a blessing, but it just broke your toe. Are you kidding me? See, when Jesus comes into your house, you're going to have to reconform your life. When Jesus comes into your life, you're going to have to change something. Joel's going to have to change something. I love it when God calls me to repent of things. I love it because the only thing God is doing is saying, Joel, I want you to come closer to me and I want to conform my life to the very image of Christ. So if I do not embrace repentance and conviction in my life and repentance and conviction is not a negative thing, it's God drawing you closer to him. And when I begin to conform my life around the word of God and this new ark that he's put in the center of my living room, there may be a day that I forget exactly how many steps that it is to go around it. And those who don't believe or want to ignore the fact that Jesus is really here, Jesus is really alive, Jesus is wanting to do something in your life, you keep bumping up against this wall and you're wondering what's going on. And it's literally a stumbling block and a rock of offense for you. Today, quit running into it. Kneel down before it. Begin to worship him at it. And let him begin to conform your life around you. Let him begin to conform your life around this, what he's trying to bring in the midst of your family. Because there's two options you have. You can either conform to it or you can try and make it conform to you, but the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's not much conforming he's going to do. He already came and died and paid the sin debt and paid it on the cross of Calvary just for us. The last thing that when the ark got placed in Obed-Edom's house, there was a new order of living that was created. I believe it was in the center of his house. I believe that everything in his house revolved around this ark because there's not something that that's, that's that special that you wouldn't revolve your life around. And the ark was an honored item. And that was not just a decoration. I believe that as they honored the item which represented God himself, God began to transform their life. Because when there's something that big and that great that gets placed in the center of your house and it's that revered item of worship, I bet before the husband went to work, he could literally just stop off at the ark and begin to pray and begin to lift up his wife and his kids and say, oh God, I've longed for the day when I could speak to you face to face. And listen, the ark is where God resided physically. And he could speak to now his God face to face. And when the wife, because back in the day, that day was the custom for the wife to stay home with the kids and be with the kids all day, the wife could begin to instruct the kids of this is how our life begins to revolve around the most sacred item in the history of our culture, the most sacred item in our religion. It's the ark and God is here. And the wife would begin to bring the husband before God and the kids before God. And the kids would learn how to pray and bring their parents before God. And before you know it, within the first couple of weeks, everything in the house began to revolve around this, where God showed up, where God resided. It wasn't just a decoration. It was a revered and honored item. And so for three months... 
Obed-Edom in his house got to go before the tangible presence of God Almighty with his family. And it's no wonder that God said he blessed everything in his household because his household had to conform to God and God's standards. Will you conform to God and God's standards? Some of you are still sitting here this morning thinking, how does that really even relate? Because truly this is the facts. That is a great story and it is a great analogy, but it really doesn't relate to our status here in the American culture because number one, there is no physical ark coming to live in your house. There is no ark that's gonna drop out of the sky and land in your living room today. If there is, when you go home, take a picture and tweet it out there because I wanna see it. But see, the Bible says we live in a new and better covenant. See, God doesn't want to place an ark in the middle of your house to make your life revolve around it. He said, I've given you the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you, to abide with you forever. So he doesn't want an inanimate object in the middle of your house. He wants to be alive, living, and dwelling in the midst of your heart. So in this whole process of conforming around this inanimate object, don't conform around an inanimate object. Conform around a live, true, natural, living God, God the Father Almighty, who shakes the heavens and the earth when he speaks. Conform your life to him. Let him change your life. And today, God doesn't speak from the mercy seat. In the New Testament, the Bible says, approach the throne of grace. See, because when Jesus Christ paid the penalty of sin, death, hell, and the grave, God doesn't have to speak from a place of mercy anymore. He's already had mercy on us, and that was Jesus Christ. He now gets to have grace upon us. So he doesn't talk from a mercy seat. He talks from the throne room of grace, and he doesn't talk from you there. He invites you to come into it. Not for him to bring it there. Because listen to this. Mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. And so we didn't deserve God, but he had mercy on us and he came to us anyway. Grace is this. Grace is us getting what we do not deserve. We get all the benefits of heaven, all the blessings of heaven, and we don't deserve it. But God says, because of my grace. And the Bible says this. I, I want all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you'll abound unto every good work. So in the Old Testament, where you're sitting here thinking this doesn't relate, you're correct because God doesn't speak from the mercy seat. He speaks from the throne room of grace because he's trying to pour it out upon you to transform your life. And finally this morning, you're wondering, Pastor, this doesn't correlate. God is not setting order down here. God is not setting order down here. The fact of the matter is, he is needing us to recognize that we're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's setting order up there where we're currently at. And when we live in the order up there, it's gonna manifest here because this is where we're physically at. So if you're saying, God, just come down here and set our house in order, he's saying, no, you come up here where you're supposed to be and get in my presence so you understand what order really is, and then it'll manifest in your household. See, we are so big on trying to say, God, I need you to come down here when God is calling us up to a higher level. We're so big on saying, God, come in down here and change this place. No, why don't we go up there and sit in the presence of God for a little bit, sit into where he's placed true order in order and understand it. And then when we live out this natural life, it'll look backwards from the rest of the world, but it'll look really good according to the Bible and there'll be order in our house because so many people are just saying, oh God, just come and change my spouse. No, why don't you get up in the presence of God and understand what order is and understand how we're supposed to operate. I'm supposed to operate as a husband. I'm not asking God to change my wife all the time. I'm asking God, draw me up into your presence so I understand you. I understand what love is. I understand what your order is. And when I begin to understand those things, I'll live it out down here and people around me will begin to recognize what manifested order is and you'll begin to change our households. And so this morning, if you're thinking that doesn't correlate, you're exactly right because it's so much better in the New Testament. It's so much better here where we live today where God says, I'm not holding anything back. You can have all the kingdom of heaven down there right where you're at. The thing is, you gotta come up here and get it. So why don't you go up there and start getting some heaven today? Go up there and start living in the manifest presence of God and watching it manifest down here. 
Because the mercy seat, I love it in the Old Testament, it's where God physically showed up and resided. But God's greatest blessing is not when he has to come down here and fix something, and it's when we get to go up there. Not because we're dead, but because we're in his presence and get to now live out a lifestyle down here. And I love how verse 11 ends, the story of Obed-Edom. The story ends like this, and it said, And God blessed him and his household. That means everything in his house. That means his professional careers, his jobs, his family, his kids. There wasn't anything that wasn't untouched by the blessing of God. And I know in the Western culture that where we live today, people, people are thinking, well, does God really want us blessed or not? Really, he gave you Jesus, the greatest blessing in all of heaven. Of course he wants you blessed. He doesn't want you naive and ignorant and be lustful after money. He wants you blessed. He wants to pour his blessing on you. If you ask any person who is of the Jewish culture, does God want you blessed? He's going to look at you like you asked them the dumbest question ever. Because when he spoke to Abraham, he said, and you will be a blessing to this nation and every other nation on the earth. So the blessing of God is wanted and needed in your house. The greatest lie of the enemy is this, that God doesn't want us blessed. And look how your families are turning out. I believe God wants Sherry and I's household blessed because we're advancing the kingdom of God. I believe God wants your household blessed because you're advancing the kingdom of God. And I believe he wants your household blessed to the point where your family functions like you desire for it to function in the will and the order of God so when other families see you, they can sit down and say, how you doing it? Because my kids don't act like your kids. So I'm going to sit down with some of y'all, how you doing it? Because <laughs> my kids don't act like your kids. <laughs> On a serious note, God's put you in this earth for an example. An example of what his kingdom is supposed to be like, look like, and act like, and operate in. I used an Old Testament story with Old Testament analogies because many of us still live with an Old Testament mindset and it related best. The fact of the matter is, it related best to you and it opened up your mind to think. So when I could talk about the New Testament life that you're supposed to live in, you were open to receive it. Because today, God doesn't want to put an inanimate object called the ark in your house he wants to live on the inside of you forever. God does not want to simply sit there and say, hey, from a distance. He wants to draw you up into his presence. And most of all, God wants to pour out his grace on you. He wants to pour his grace out on your life. And my favorite verse about grace doesn't come out of Romans. Because many people say, where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. And that is so true. That is vitally true. But my favorite verse on grace is so that all things, at all times, you can abound under every good work. That's what God said about his grace. So today it's your, God's will for you to abound, to be blessed, and to walk in the favor of God. But the first thing you got to do is place him in the center of your life and start conforming your life around him, not asking him to conform to you.